Welcome to Startup Health Now, the podcast where we celebrate the entrepreneurs and innovators reimagining the future of health. I'm your host, Logan Plaster. In health innovation, sometimes the eureka moment that sparks a business is subtle. Maybe you're a doctor clicking away on an electronic health record, and it dawns on you that you could do the same thing with fewer clicks. An idea is born. At other times, inspiration smacks you in the face. Or in the case of Eugene Malinsky, the co-founder and CEO of Lazarite, smacks someone else. I was in an operating room, and they were about to start a surgery. They had the patient prepped, um, and if you could sort of visualize this, right? There's a patient on the table, staff all over the place, the patient's already intubated, and uh, everything is getting ready to start the, the procedure. And the PA walks by the table and unfortunately trips over the cables from the camera and falls, takes a really hard fall. And that's supposed to be a never event, right? Like that, that sort of just like blew my mind. They had to cancel the surgery. I heard later that uh, the PA was uh, actually out for a while because of that sort of saw, oh my God, this is, this is crazy. How can this be happening? At this point, this was uh, seven years ago. I was like, there's nothing technological preventing wireless camera technology. The hurdle was it's really, really hard. Nothing in physics was stopping it. It doesn't mean it was easy. That fateful day in the operating room set Malinsky on a multi-year journey of creating the world's first wireless, minimally invasive camera system for use in the operating room. The big challenge, as he'll explain, was getting a powerful enough light system into the unit. This month, Malinsky and his team celebrated the milestone of receiving FDA clearance for their camera, so we caught up with them to hear the latest. We also hit Malinsky up for some practical advice on navigating the FDA process. One tip? Find and invest in an experienced regulatory partner early in the process. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Eugene Malinsky from Lazarite. Give us a quick overview of your company, what you're building, and what your mission is. Wonderful. Um, and once again, thank you for having me on the show. Um, it's always a pleasure to participate with the startup health community. So uh, Lazarite is uh, really a, a very forward-looking company where we're looking to change how the operating room uh, performs for the people in the operating room. So that's both the patients as well as the physicians and the staff, and really even the, the people behind the operating room, the administration and, and the facilities where they're at. Um, and uh, we're looking at this as a multi-year, multi-product uh, sort of uh, journey. And as the first uh, big part of that journey, as you alluded to, uh, we've actually... Uh, just sort of hit a major milestone on, and that is we got FDA approval on our first product, which is called Arthrofree, and Arthrofree is the world's uh, first fully wireless, uh, minimally invasive camera system for use in the operating room. <clears throat> 
so that was a lot of words to really say that we made uh, a wireless camera that a physician can now replace their wired cameras. And the only thing they have is wired cameras, right? There are no other wireless cameras were really first to market. Um, and they can perform the surgeries that they've already been performing, uh, uh, arthroscopies, endoscopies, uh, GI surgeries, and a whole slew of other um, minimally invasive surgeries that they're already doing. They can come in and they can replace the camera that they have with our wireless camera and make their lives easier uh, potentially make the the uh, operation faster, make the room safer, right? You you don't have the cores, you don't have to be tripping patients up, you don't have uh, uh, surgical fire risk because of the uh, operating room fires from the current wired cameras, um, and a whole other uh, benefits. But we can sort of get yeah. into that later. The idea here is this is the first product, and what we're expecting to be a number of products down the the line um, where we're coming in and we really are trying to make uh, a better operating room, a better life for the patients, the, the physicians, the staff, and the facilities. Eugene, what led you to this problem? Um, wh what's your background and, and why the operating room? Yeah, so, so my personal background is um, I'm a quote unquote serial entrepreneur. Uh, this is company number five, um, depending on how you count. I've had an exit in the IT space. I had a number of companies in the IT space. Um, but this is actually my second company in the medical space. And I've always had sort of this interest in medicine. I've worked in the medical field as an EMT. I did some work at one of the Cleveland Clinic hospitals. Um, but I've also always had this engineering background as well. And so I found a way to sort of marry those together. The, the, my passion for medicine, my engineering background um, in what was actually my prior company. And it was a, a medical device consulting company. And at that company uh, called Dragon ID, which I also uh, ran and founded and ran, um, the patient prepped, um, and if you could sort of visualize this, right, there's a patient on the table, um, staff all over the place, the patient's already uh, uh, intubated, and uh, everything is getting ready to start the, the procedure, and the PA walks by the table and unfortunately trips over the cables that are right there um, from the camera and falls, takes a really hard fall. And that sort of was, that's supposed to be a never event, right? Like that, that sort of just like blew my mind. Um, they had to cancel the surgery. I heard later that uh, the PA was uh, actually out for a while because of that. But I sort of, and then that yeah. moment, I sort of saw, oh my God, this is, this is crazy. Um, how can this be happening? At this point, this was uh, seven years ago. I was like, there's nothing technological preventing wireless camera technology. And 
So what was the hurdle? The hurdle was it's really, really hard. <laughs> it turned Why? out to be, it turned Why out that so hard? nothing in physics was stopping it. It doesn't yeah. mean it was easy. Yeah. So a um, couple of quick uh, hits there. So uh, number one, um, we ended up having to invent our own light engine technology. So we use a non-LED light. It is called the Meridium light engine. Um, and uh, a whole lot of our base technology is actually based just around the light engine. Um, to put this in context, uh, currently in an operating room, if you're doing surgery, virtually any surgery, and you need some sort of a light in the body or near the body, <clears throat> you use a light box, right? They're universal. They're, they're available pretty much from every vendor. And these light boxes are something like three to 400 watts, and they're LED. Uh, they have a long cable that goes from there to the site, and that cable is very expensive, gets damaged all the time. And that's sort of what is the status quo. And here's us coming in with our light engine, and the Meridian light engine is able to produce that light that we need for the surgery in under four watts. Wow. That is two orders of magnitude less than what is currently used in the operating room. And, and you we had can to do it. And you had to invent that more or less. In we order had to, to invent that more. No, no, that more or less. Yeah. We had to invent that. Got it. So okay. we had to invent that. So we have a non-LED lighting technology. Um, I mentioned earlier that we have a pipeline of products. A lot of our products are actually based on this. We have a tremendous amount of IP around just the light. We see a lot of uses for it in both the operating room, the larger healthcare and hospital environment, but also even outside of the medical field, right? Uh, uh, was the statistic something like one sixth of all global power usage goes towards lighting. Um, if we can make lighting more efficient, that's a huge sort of green boost um, mm. overall. Yeah, interesting. <clears throat> so so that, part, of the reason, part of the reason why we're having this conversation is because of the arthro-free uh, camera uh, came to market, uh, was FDA approved how long ago? Uh, just a couple of weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago. Congratulations. Thank you. I understand that you that you got the approval in 90 days and that that is, if not a record, very fast for getting FDA approval. So is that yes. true? It is very, very fast. Um, we are very thankful to both our internal team and our partners. Um, I, I think what that really speaks to is the quality of the application that we put together um, and really were able to show to the FDA our sort of the fact that how safe we are as a product and that we are um, very similar to what our predicate is, but while also having all these improvements. So I, I think all that really does is just speak um, well to the team that that was able to put that together, uh, all the tests that we did and all the prep work that we spent years um, creating. Yeah. Let's spend a little time on that idea because there's there's a lot of folks who are going to listen to this who are in the health tech space for whom FDA clearance is 
either a black box or just a giant hurdle, uh, something very scary they assume is going to take two or three years, whatever, and it could. So uh, I want to hear from you some concrete sort of rules of the road for a successful FDA application. Absolutely. So number one um, rule of the road, and this is something we followed, is you probably are not going to be able to do it alone. Um, we partnered, in our case, we partnered with Micra. Um, Micra is uh, one of the strongest, if not the strongest, um, regulatory advisor in the orthopedic space, but also a number of other spaces. And we partnered with them almost since day one of starting the company. I put together uh, actually a plan. <clears throat> um, here's how I think we can get through the FDA. Here's our 510K potential submission. I wrote that long before 99% of the work had actually been done on the product itself. And by doing that, I was able to sort of set guardrails for us on what we had to hit. Micra then was able to take my work, um, updated it, cleaned it up, made sure that I really was following all the right rules. I really was uh, on track. And we've partnered with them hand in hand the entire time. And they were actually the ones who put our submission in on our behalf to the FDA. And so seven years worth of partnerships, regular conversations, and then obviously the closer we got to the submission, the more the, the more we worked with them. Um, but it really is one of those things where getting the right partner at the top, at the start, is absolutely crucial. One. Number two, write your FDA plan, right? I don't care how light it is, but write your FDA plan at the start and then mm. follow that FDA plan, right? So once we had that FDA plan, when we would do our uh, internal development, when we would do our uh, compliance testing, whatever it was that we were doing, wherever we were in the process, we would always reference back to the plan and make sure that we were still on track, and we were doing the things that we were advised would be what the FDA was always going to look for. So that's gotcha. so that's that's sort of two key elements. The third, obviously, but, key element is you have to have the people internally. I uh, regulatory was one of my first hires, um, and I have a, a fantastic team. Um, uh, Patrick Burrito and Danielle Filkowski. Uh, who have been with the company almost since the start and really, again, on the internal side, made sure that our internal team was doing what they needed to, keeping all of us in check, working with Micra, and then at the end, having spent a tremendous amount of time getting ready for the FDA. What I hear you saying is that that 90 days to approval is kind of misleading because you said for seven years you've been working on a roadmap and you had to sort of build the plan and then be ready and double ready and triple ready before you started the process versus someone who starts before they have the plan and has to revise, revise another year, another year. You did the work ahead of time. Correct. Do the yeah. work ahead of time. And then honestly, just stick to it because 
we had many opportunities to let's call it false opportunities to sort of go a different way or or go under a different sort of code than we were thinking about and honestly at the end we we pretty much stuck with almost exactly how i had written it up at the top it's 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 almost eerie like you can even some of the stuff changed because obviously seven years had passed but it was almost eerie, like, here's what the device is doing, here's how we're putting it through, and here's why the FDA is going to find that this is a good candidate for a 510K. What's the most challenging aspect of applying for FDA or succeeding in getting FDA clearance? Um, All the work you have to do ahead of time. (laughs) The submission is... So putting that packet together is daunting and took a long time, uh, both for us and our partners. But being able to know what you're doing, have a plan in place, at that point, you're just executing on the plan. So I'd say, honestly, for all the listeners here who, who are concerned about the FDA, the FDA is very much a critical path item. You have to get through it. It, it in every circumstance is different, in every circumstance it's unique. That being said, putting the plan ahead of time together, sticking to it, um, and then just really executing on all the tests and all the things that you said you have to do or that the FDA told you that you have to do, that's key and crucial. Um, and then, honestly, just answer their questions uh, when you do have the conversations with them. Yeah. Any words of wisdom about kind of the financing of this? Because I think there's all, all often struggles of how much should I outsource to an outside agency. You mentioned working with Micra. You said early on, um, kind of. I'm sure that's expensive. Paying the paying the money necessary to have the right people on the bus early. But any words of wisdom around what to really invest in financially versus trying to do it yourself if you're really bootstrapping on a tight budget? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think our story that we told our financial backers, right? And we are venture and private funded, so just just to be clear. Um, but the story that we told the folks who have trusted us with their money was only made better by the early onboarding of Micra um, as a strong partner to the company. Micra is a well-known name in the industry. They're an incredibly, beyond being a good name, they're an incredibly strong partner. Um, Working with them, putting that plan together was something I could show during a funding round. And that took a number of questions sort of away from how are you guys going to be able to make this happen? What is the FDA going to say? When, honestly, I can be like, we're working with Micro. We have a plan. 
here's a short blurb of the plan, here's our timeline, and that was it. And that was it, right? And for 99% of our investors, that gave them the certainty to continue doing their due diligence and eventually put their money into the company um, because that was such a lockdown part of the story. Interesting. No, that's really interesting thought. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about the future of Lazarite. Um, you said this is really just the first of many, a suite of products centered around improving the operating room, both for the patient as well as for the provider. Um, so that can go in so many different directions. You have a background in medical devices. You're an engineer. Um, really, you could attempt to solve any of a myriad challenges. And so I kind of want to get at your philosophy of problem solving because, you know, with Arthur Free, you had to, you know, invent this new way of, of lighting. And, uh, and as you move to new devices, you're going to have to decide, okay, what challenges are we going to try to solve and how are we going to create something that's never existed before? So as an engineer, I'm just curious, kind of what is your philosophy around uh, this kind of problem solving? Yeah, great question. So I think this even goes back to sort of the idea here that, look, we saw this incident. That sort of led to the development of the idea, then the company, and everything else that followed. <coughs> Our pipeline of products is very much a reflection, and I'm saying this both, both as an engineer, but also as a CEO and all that, um, it's very much a reflection of us working with our partners, physicians, surgeons, nurses, hospitals, facilities, um, to understand what their needs are, what is solvable, what makes sense to solve. You have to sort of triangulate a little bit, um, but really, once you start... I'll give an example. Once you put Arthur free into the hands of surgeons, right, the instant response is, oh my God, I love this. Where has this been all my life? I've been talking about this for the last 10 or 15 years. This is amazing. <clears throat> and then they say, hey, could you also solve X, Y, Z? So we listen to that. We write it down. We then sort of have these conversations over and over and over again. And you start to see patterns emerge on what is a problem, what isn't a problem, what do people think is a problem, but maybe really isn't a problem. So you start to sort of triangulate around where do people have these fundamental issues. You then look at the physics, you look at the engineering, you look at obviously money, you look at the time, um, you look at the market and you sort of try to figure out, okay, what, what of this is solvable? Because like you said, there's a million problems that could be solved. And you then choose, okay, if I solve this problem, then this likely leads me to an innovation around something else that leads me to then solve this other problem that I was identified. So you start building out, just like we've started, you start building out um, a portfolio of both IP as well as products and engineering know-how that you can then build on in order to solve these other pro uh, problems that you've heard about or that you know about 
um, and that you've tested and made sure that they are real problems with real market demand behind them. Interesting. Have you ever been in situations where the real innovation that you want to apply is to enable surgeons to actually use less technology? I was just working with one of our companies uh, that uses virtual reality uh, to distract patients during hand surgeries, and they're doing it in order to utilize fewer operating room hours and less general anesthesia. So they're using one piece of technology to actually do less uh, and actually kind of dial down the complexity of he the healthcare experience. Has that ever been your experience? Yeah. <clears throat> so I haven't spent all that much time on Arthrofree, but that is really what Arthrofree is doing, right? By eliminating wires, eliminating a number of boxes that are actually in the operating room, um, simplifying things. We're enabling the surgeon and the staff to perform better safer, potentially even more efficiently with a piece of technology, you're right, but then that eliminates other pieces of technology that uh, simplifies other stuff. So we are, a number of products that we are actually considering that we have in the pipeline are actually exactly that, which is there's, there's a lot to be said for decluttering, um, removing overhead, taking away some of the things that are being done right now that probably aren't necessary, but nobody's really created a better way of solving a certain problem. So we're there is very much a niche there, and it's a very lucrative niche. Let's um, get into the end of our time here, but any final words of wisdom for... A, a founder or an entrepreneur who's maybe earlier in their journey than you're at right now, maybe thinking about FDA uh, and the process, thinking about bringing a device to market, um, any, any sort of hard-won wisdom? Uh, yeah, whether it's a device, uh, software, anything that you have to do with the FDA, um, I'm going to sort of repeat it, engage either internally or externally, with people who know what they're doing, who have done the work with the FDA, who have the experience. Um, even if you have the experience, rely on somebody else to back that up um, because it's, it's almost invaluable, right? Every single situation is unique, and if you don't, set that plan up if you don't consider what you're doing um, you're probably just going to take a lot of time to get where you're going if you get there at all yeah uh, Eugene it's great great stuff I love this idea that you know while it only took you 90 days to get FDA clearance you spent seven years doing the the hard legwork it's like you were a seven-year overnight success like so many startups uh, say That's and how that works. you, yeah, you did the hard work. You, you, you did that roadmap from the beginning. You, you established the right partnerships from the beginning. And when the time came for that important, uh, flip to be switched, you were ready. So, uh, exciting to celebrate that news with you. Um, congrats on the FDA clearance. Thanks for sharing your thoughts with us today. And I can't wait to see what you build next. Thank you. All right. Have a good one. All right. Bye-bye. 
Thanks for listening to Startup Health Now. Startup Health invests in health transformers from around the world who are committed to achieving audacious health moonshots. If you want to learn how you can join this community of entrepreneurs, or if you want to connect with one of our 380 companies, go to StartupHealth.com. If you'd like to learn how you can invest in our Health Moonshot Impact Fund in collaboration with AngelList, go to HealthMoonshots.com. Thanks for listening to Startup Health Now. We'll be back next week.